Greetings, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com, and I'm very thankful that you're with us today. Aaron Boone is back in the studio with me, and he's brought a study called Apologetics in Motion. It's about Acts 17, and I think it's going to be very helpful for those who are interested in personal evangelism, in talking to people about the Bible, and meditating on how Paul, the greatest personal evangelist out there, was able to interact with so many people from so many different backgrounds. So I highly recommend this mini-series. It's going to be two episodes and uh, we're going to talk about principles that Paul had in his heart as well as some of the subjects that Paul had in mind whenever he was preaching to the Athenians. Now, the way this conversation is actually going to begin is with just some of the conversation that we were having before we begin the study, and it's a bit off topic. We weave it into the study, but what's helpful about it is it's kind of off script, but I think very insightful and helpful, uh, especially for those who are younger and younger men who are interested in in teaching or preaching and those who are not interested. So we're going to begin off script and then jump into the study. Like if I go back and look at some of the first sermons that I ever wrote or study, I don't even know what you call them, they have. The top line is, I'm thankful to be here. I'm glad. (laughs) It is a privilege. I'm honored to have this opportunity to be here. I'm thankful for the kind of like, why didn't I just say that if I like? Right. That's how I felt. Why don't I just say it? Well, when you're, how old were you when you started teaching five-minute sermons? Fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. I, Which isn't great. I tell people now, don't do that. But As in start earlier or No, wait. start later. Okay. Um, this is completely off topic, but why, yeah. why, why would you recommend start later? Well, I'll say this. For me, I had... I had some unreal expectations placed on me by other people, not by my dad. But from the time I was baptized, I always had people saying, you're going to be a great preacher because of who your dad is. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And I didn't want to preach for a long time. I was set on being a dentist for a long time. (laughs) Like going into college, I was looking into dentistry school. Uh Uh-huh. And then the whole eight years of dentistry school kind of turned me off of that. But it wasn't until I was 18, 19, 20 that I thought, yeah, maybe this is a serious thing I can think about. Um, and be able to use some talents for. But, so I started, I probably gave my first lesson at 14, five minutes or 10 minutes. And I think it's healthy and good, but one of the things with giving a, a lesson is you are, your your purpose is to teach, to encourage, and to do those kind of things. And so one of the things we do with young guys is we push them in the pulpit but we don't teach them what to do outside of the pulpit. Uh-huh. And there are some aspects of holy living outside of the pulpit that are n- important. But to be able to defend what you said in the pulpit outside of the pulpit is probably the most important thing. Mm. You're not going to in my in my opinion, you're not going to change a lot of lives in the pulpit. We don't get hundreds and thousands of people coming forward the most conversions happen in one-on-one, one-on-one conversations. Right. And so being able to have those one-on-one conversations are the most important thing to learn mm. first, mm-hmm. I believe, now. So I would rather 
teach a young guy and work with young people on being able to have one-on-one conversations and go through their Bible and then get in the pulpit. So start that second. So I think at times we put the cart before the horse by saying get in the pulpit and we forget there's an even more, that's not even more important, but there's maybe that's the right term. There's an important skill that needs to be learned outside of the pulpit. Yeah. And that's having one-on-one conversations. You know, this is not from the notes. This is a very extemporaneous conversation we're having, but I think it's a good one uh, because of, of some of the things that you've just said, putting young men into a public role when they haven't been trained in any way for it other than the fact that they got baptized and they're male. Mm-hmm. So let's let's let them teach now. Yeah. Uh, and obviously there's a lot of that's going to be up to dad. Dad should, sh- the expectation is dad at home should be training his son if he wants to teach. 100%. The reality is that sometimes that, that doesn't happen. So what do elders, leaders of the church need to do? So uh, completely unrelated to apologetics in motion yeah. is this thought, because I'm, I'm probably going to keep this. I think it would be ni- nice for the audience who listens to this podcast to consider that for our young men, uh, and I'll tell you honestly, if, if we're talking about personal evangelism, this is not just a young man thing. So our young people, young men, young women, mm-hmm. how do we train our young people to when the Bible comes up in conversation how to respond, or if it's specifically a Bible study, how to engage with others. So, I think, and that's an important role to understand that both young men and women have an extraordinary responsibility to share their faith or share the faith with people. And that at times goes, we underutilize. Mm-hmm a demographic of the church and women in their ability to spread the gospel to friends in the situations that they're a hundred percent permitted to. And so I think this lesson or this study on apologetics emotion actually came about because I've had multiple young women ask me and talk to me about what do I do? Mm -hmm. And now this lesson isn't the end all on apologetics or how to give a defense. It's kind of an introduction in my opinion on, where you can start, maybe. Right. How to start those conversations. Right. I'll, so you, you've kind of front-loaded our conversation now. We've been able to transition into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I will pause right here to introduce you in case somebody doesn't know who you are. But uh, Aaron Boone is with us again. You've been on the podcast a couple of times before. Yeah. So tell us, for anybody who didn't hear those episodes, who you are, where you work, what you do, all, the, all that stuff. Okay. Um, my name is Aaron Boone. I work with the the Church of Christ in Arlington, Texas, the Green Oaks Church of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, in the role of an evangelist with them. Um, I'm a young guy trying to figure out everything as I go to, and I think <laughs> ultimately, my ultimate goal is, and this is something I was talking about with a friend the other day, is to study and to share those studies with other people and to help each one of us make it to heaven as you know a group. And Amen. So that's who I am. It's just Aaron Boone. And, you know, you sometimes we have the, the tendency to maybe self-deprecate. You are a very talented preacher and you're a very good personal worker. So you are someone who speaks with experience in this study. I'm thankful for the work that you do. 
and people can't see that Aaron is responding with with appropriate humility. So I will frame it as that. <laughs> I'm gonna. I might cut that recording and just keep it as my morning affirmations. <laughs> well, we need to hear it because sometimes we feel like I, I'm making it up as I go along, mm-hmm. right? Hundred percent. The good news for preachers is that we have a manual written by God, and so yes, we're making it up how we we will use this manual, how we interact with it, how we help point others to it. But like, oh, I'm so thankful that God gave it to us so that we don't have to make up everything about the faith. Yes, it's just trying to figure out this connection point between people's lives who aren't touching the word yet. And how to get them in touch with it. Yeah. So. I'm very thankful that I don't have to come up with. I'm not that imaginative. <laughs> I'm very thankful that there is a guidebook that shows us and gives uh-huh. us examples of things. Uh-huh. Now, young people, uh, you've had several reach out to you and say, how do I uh, fill in the blank? Start a Bible study, share the word, talk to my friends, etc." And so we're going to be studying from Acts chapter 17 today. And this is uh, when Paul, for, for those who maybe have a little bit of background, we'll try to summarize it for you as briefly as we can. But this is when Paul is in a city that doesn't have a church. He's in Athens. And he's the only Christian there at the moment. And he's uh, looking at all these idols. And he's, he gets so overwhelmed because he's frustrated that the true God is not named among these people except for this we don't know what it looks like but i've always thought the the altar to the unknown god was just like it off in the corner covered in cobwebs you know yeah the, it was the fail safe just in case we miss someone yeah <laughs> in fact just to, to add to that idea there's some interpretations in, in acts chapter 17 paul confesses to them and he says i see that you're very religious that term in some translations is superstitious and so it's not even that they're religious it's that they're so like worried that maybe they'll miss out on a god and all of their gods and they'll make somebody mad that they just have this uh idol off to the side right that just just in case we missed one here's here it is (laughs) and so that idea is not that far off probably from what's happening here Uh uh-huh that's right now for for that those young people and everyone young at heart as well who um want to know about personal evangelism, want to know about apologetics, the idea of defending your faith. This is this is where we're studying from. And you begin this this study just with remembering Paul and his tireless effort. So maybe could you start there by framing who Paul was and how he demonstrated this this tireless effort and what he was doing around the world. Yeah. So we the the story of Paul as we read our Bibles, is very famous. We know the transition from Saul, the persecutor of the church, to the Apostle Paul, who writes most of our New Testament books and was one of the most prominent writers that we see in the New Testament. And he had almost a chip on his shoulder to spread mm. the gospel. He persecuted the church. He, Jesus said on the road to Damascus when he saw him, why are you persecuting me? Right. And so he recognized that he's been persecuting Christ, and now he's there trying to spread the gospel and because of his past life and because of the change that has occurred. And that's something we need to realize as well. The change that occurred in Saul's life, God had forgiven him of the wickedness of his life. And that didn't mean he sat at home all day being thankful to God. 
his own his first reaction was, I need to go out and tell everybody. Uh-huh. And you know, in Romans one, he tells the the church there that he's writing to, the audience he's writing to, he says, I'm a debtor. I am in debt to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. And he goes on to talk about there that that's to spread the gospel because the gospel is God's plan of salvation. It is God's power to save. Mm. And so he felt like he was in debt to the world to tell everybody that he could about the gospel and the good news and God's desire to share the gospel. And he did so to such an extent that we're in Acts 17 for this study, but a little later on in Acts 20, he's speaking of as if he was, you know, as if life had ended. He says, on judgment day, I know that I am in debt to no man. Mm -hmm. There is no blood on my hands. And he says, why? Because I have not ceased to spread the gospel, to share the good news. Yeah. It comes easier to to some to others as far as feeling that same zeal. I I think deep down, maybe all of us want to have zeal. Uh, Sometimes, uh, I do see it oftentimes in younger folks. They're bringing their friends to church mm-hmm. a lot from high school. You know, they're in college. They're having these conversations. We get older. We kind of get set in our ways, and maybe we don't have them as many. Now, I'm speaking, think of it as a bell curve. There's always yeah. outliers, and there's going to be people who are zealous in their retirement who are more zealous than maybe I am in the middle of my work right now. Right. But you, you call Acts 17 a master class in sharing your faith with others. So from that as a springboard, what do you want to accomplish in this study? What, what should we be as the people who are studying with you, per se, in this conversation? How do we respond to this idea, a master class of sharing faith? There's two main categories that are filled within Acts chapter 17's discourse of Paul sharing the faith. Number one, and on one side of this chart you might build in your mind, is he gives you topics to talk about, things to say or where to start. The other side of this chart is principles that you can apply to your tactic of sharing the faith. Okay. And so there's this kind of two-sided chart that exists in our minds where he says, where, and that's one of the hard questions, I 100% agree. Sharing our faith might be one of the most difficult things for a lot of people. Paul makes it look really easy, and sometimes I get really jealous of that, <laughs> but it is one of the most difficult aspects of the Christian faith, the responsibility to share. Right, but Acts 17, in, in this breakdown that you've given us, um, I think sometimes people can be scared I, I won't know what to say to them so you're you're saying on one side of the brain is the subject mm-hmm. like this is this is the things that i'm going to say but maybe some people's fear is is on the other side and that is kind of a you call it principles yeah what, what do you mean by that different ways that we as communicators can or different tactics that we as communicators can enlist in how we go about saying things, how we present ourselves, who we look to in in regard to having a conversation with people. And that's what I mean by that. What is a principle that enables you to be more successful in spreading the gospel? Okay, okay. So now that means this dichotomy in my mind, uh, the visualization that you talked about is it matters what I say and it matters how I say it. Exactly. Okay, That that's going to be helpful because I... 
yeah, people, they're scared. I, I talk to folks in the church and they're like, well, what, what? I won't know what to say in a Bible study. But then the, those who are gung ho about what they say, but they have a, a spirit that is not the spirit of Christ can do a whole lot of damage. Yes. Right. And then you got to kind of do damage control if you ever get the chance to talk with that other person again. Yeah. So we're we're going to we're going to try to balance both of those today. This is a difficult thing to put into practice, personal evangelism, but it's an expected thing of us as God's people. And you said people often say, I don't know what to say. Hundred percent. I don't know what to say a lot of times, too. Mm -hmm. But and I always think back and I'm very thankful that the Bible is clear to show us the imperfections of its characters. Moses told God at the burning bush, I don't know what to say. What right. if they ask me what your name is? Right. What if they ask me a question? That is literally, what if they ask me a question I don't have the answer to? Uh -huh. And God says, I'll give you the answer. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to some earlier conversations we've had. We're very thankful that God has given us this guidebook. Yeah. We don't have to make up the answers. And a verse that always sits in my mind and I think is a beautiful wording from Paul is in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. He says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ mm -hmm. and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So Paul is noting that God places a lot of value on his children, on his people, because it is through us that he shares his knowledge. Now, it's through the word of God, the Bible. But he uses us to mm -hmm. spread that, that gospel wherever we are. And he notes an important principle that I think puts a lot of us down and scares us. And that is, what if we don't succeed? And Paul says here, you're going to lead some to life. You diffuse uh, the knowledge of God to some who are going to be saved and some who are perishing. And Paul recognizes that we're not going to be successful with everybody. Right. And that's not our fault. I hesitate to share this from Second Corinthians 2, the passage you just read, because it's a really great preaching point. And it's like if I share it on the podcast <laughs> and then I go preach it somewhere, somebody's like, hey, I've heard that. But that whole fragrance to the saved and to the perishing is a play, maybe you already know this, on the Roman triumph coming into Rome. And so yeah. you have your general and then the conquering army and then the slaves, mm -hmm. and as they're coming through, they're they're dropping these flowers, this this fragrance, the incense is being you know diffused in the area. And so, first off, you have those who triumph, and, yeah. and what the smell is to them is the smell of victory. Yes, and the exact same odor to the ones who are being brought in in chains is the smell of defeat. And so, it's the same odor, but it means something completely different to people. And, and we are more than conquerors in Christ. So when we have the fragrance of the gospel, it's beautiful. And we are so thankful and thank God for Jesus. And we're overwhelmed with how much he's done for us. And you tell, you tell that exact same message to somebody that hates the gospel. And it's the same fragrance, but it's a fragrance of death. They are just sickened mm -hmm. by uh, something because they haven't understood it properly or they've decided to you know, just not listen. Yeah. But there's this great juxtaposition between these two groups that came into Rome and yeah. how it is when we share the gospel with people. You know, Paul says that the message of the gospel is foolishness to those mm -hmm. who are perishing. Mm -hmm. And like you said, somebody might smell that aroma and think that's fantastic. Yeah. Somebody else might smell it and think, oh, 
Yeah. That's disgusting. <laughs> and so it's the purpose that God uses us is to bring the aroma. Yeah. Is to spread the gospel. And Paul says that God gives the increase from there. Now, in your notes, you talk about how it doesn't mean uh, that sharing the gospel, we're diffusing this knowledge in the world, but it doesn't make it an easy task. And, and so you take a moment to really help us as Christians remember that it's about the treasure in the earthen vessel, and it's not so much about the vessel being good enough, smart enough, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, there's a reason why my program is pure and simple and not pure and easy Bible, because yeah. it can be simple, but being simple doesn't make it easy to maybe put into reality or put into practice. So will you take a moment? Again, we're, we're kind of in it already, but let's encourage folks with what you were talking about, about it's okay to feel inadequate. Yeah, it's it's human to feel inadequate, especially on things that are, and let's get this. The gospel is a message that is that is larger than me. And so I then have this responsibility to share this great message, and that's daunting. And that's a very human yeah. way to look at things. And uh, the fear of maybe a lack of knowledge, a fear of rejection or mockery or anything of that nature, those are, are natural fears. And I brought up Moses a little bit ago. Moses is at the burning bush. He's seeing this amazing picture he's listening to god speak to him and even in that moment he's got fear and doubt and worry and what if you know i can't speak very well maybe he had a speech impediment maybe and so physically inadequate Mm -hmm. what if they ask me a question i what they ask me your name he's worried about having a lack of knowledge Mm -hmm. and throughout all these instances god's encouragement is i'll be there for you and so if somebody who's talking to god directly Seeing a miracle happen in front of them, yeah, yeah, is doubting and worrying. I'm not gonna lessen anybody else who today doesn't have that same opportunity. Who right. Doubts and worries. So it's it's natural. It's a difficult conversation, and it's a little awkward too yeah. at times. It's not always the most. Na- you know, I can ask you, hey, what's your favorite baseball team? But it's a lot more awkward to say, have you read your Bible this right. week, or what are you reading <laughs> in in Scripture and Religion and politics, the two things we don't bring up in casual conversations, yeah. but socially we're, we're attuned to that. You know, I think um, maybe I'll, I'll try to embody the audience and I'll say uh, the people that we talk to today are different than the people that Paul talked to. And so we might say this is different. It's apples and oranges. So, you know, why should we... Um, be looking at the way Paul talked to the Athenians because it's it's just not the same. And there's a point there. They're not the same people as 21st century Americans. But in mindset, it's important to see as you read through Acts 17 that the ideologies and the belief systems and how they viewed the world and self mm-hmm. isn't all that different to how our communities and society views God, views self, views pleasure in today's world. So the people Paul talks to, while they dress different, they look different, they spoke a different language, they weren't all that different than the people we will talk to Mm -hmm. today as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now there's 
a thing about Paul's audience that is important to understand as well, not just are they similar to us, and we'll talk about that maybe a little bit more in a second. But the thing with Paul's audience is in verse 17 of Acts chapter 17, the Bible notes that Paul talks to anybody and everybody. The Bible gives us insight into what Paul is doing. And so do you want to read verse 17? Sure. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So this is a verse that when you read Acts 17, you're just going to skip by and you may not think a lot about it. But it actually gives a lot of helpful information with regard to spreading the gospel. And that is, Paul would talk to anyone. And so if we have this chart in our head of principles and uh, discussion topics, principle number one is be willing to talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. And so he says here that he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout people, or in uh, New King James, the Gentile worshipers. The synagogue was a place of religious devotion. It's where the elites of the religious community would sit and discuss religion yeah. and discuss daily principles. These were the elite, the religious people of the day. Mm -hmm. The marketplace, pretty easy distinction, these were your blue-collar workers. These were your everyday men, your laborers, the guys who had dirt under their nails. And Paul also went to them. And sometimes we get into the habit of wanting to talk to people who are like us on the educational level of us. Oh, okay. Okay. Of something of that they're 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 like us so we can relate to them. And Paul relates to the synagogue people. He is an Ivy Leaguer when it comes to education. And so he relates to the educated crowd. But he is so motivated to spread the gospel that he wants to talk to anybody. And so he's able to talk to anybody. He's able to go to the commoner and speak in, maybe maybe he does in less educated terms, speaks in less educated terms. Right. Um, and he's able then to go to the synagogue and talk to them in uh, whatever discourse goes on there. And that's an important, when we want to spread the gospel, it's almost like fishing with a net. You want as large of a net as possible that you can spread out. You want as much area as you can cover. Mm-hmm. And when we want to, if we want to be successful, if we're only talking to one or two people, we're limiting our ability to be successful in spreading the gospel. That's a good point. And it's a biblical point because Jesus, with his parable of the net, mm -hmm. you know, talks about this idea of, of your job is to bring them in, all sorted out. Yeah. But you, you get the gospel, get people in the kingdom, and I'll sort out the good ones from the bad. Yeah. So don't take on, don't go out with the fishing line and mm -hmm. get me one. Go out with the net and get them all. I like yeah. that. I like that. Now, in the in the narrative of Acts, uh, you are correct. I think it's easy to read verse 17 and just kind of blow by it. But mm -hmm. there's obviously some strategy here. He does spend time with those like him. He does spend time with those who are not like him. So then that makes me maybe hypersensitive to what comes next. And I, I notice in verse 18, it says some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And I know we don't need to maybe get too far into it, but it might be nice just to know, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Who are the Epicureans and who are the Stoics? And I think that's our biggest comparison to today's audience is the Epicureans and the Stoics. These are two... I'm not going to call them religiously minded people, although they did. Uh, they were 
religious leaders and groups within the community of Athens at this time. They were religious for their cause, yeah. even though they might not see spirituality the way we do. Exactly. <laughs> I like it. And so the Epicureans were this group of people who did not hold a belief in God or that God created the world. Uh, Epicurus, the man who started this religion, he believed that the highest form of good was pleasure. Mm. And I'll say, and I'll give him credit, when he, as much as I read about him, when he created this religious group, this pleasure that he focused on was uh, knowledge. So the gaining and sharing of knowledge, which seems very innocent and great. But very quickly, history will tell us, you tell people pleasure is the ultimate good, they don't stick to just knowledge. Nope. And that's what happened with the Epicureans. They became very physically minded. What makes me feel good is good. It sounds like people who have the inability to see truth as absolute. Truth is subjective. It's relative. That means if, if truth is relative, if there is no standard for all of us, then it really is about my truth and how I feel. Mm-hmm. And that seems like an Epicurean yeah. view-ish. It's very close and very much what's going on there. And so, like you said, we know those people. Mm-hmm. We know people who don't believe in God, who view what's good as in what's good for them. Mm-hmm. And in that way, Paul's one of Paul's main audience is not very different from today's society. Yeah. Now, he has a second audience as well, the Stoics. And they were kind of individuals who they had a belief or an understanding of God or a God. Uh, and they viewed him in some way as a creator and a sustainer of life, yet they believed in the putting away of all emotion and all happiness, which is kind of where we get the idea of someone who's very stoic. Okay. And they believed in being, you know, taking away emotion, taking emotion out of religion and just being kind of very formal about everything. But they ultimately held a position that said death or destruction Uh, of the world or at death and destruction of the world, all people would just be absorbed back into God, into the divine essence of God, as one history book I read uh, quoted them. And so their viewpoint was that, sure, God existed, but in the end... We're all safe. We're all safe. We're all just going to be absorbed back into into God. Okay. And I think we have those people as well um, who believe in God in some way but don't really believe in any difference in the end in judgment and those are people that Paul addresses as well and I think understanding and seeing his audience for me helps me understand that Paul's lesson or conversation in verse 22 through the end of the chapter is not a random conversation it's something that he is very mindful about his audience right. uh, with and right. so in that he's mindful of his audience and I'll give a second principle here. So we're still on that list. The first principle is be willing to talk to anybody. Right. Second principle is when Paul gets into his discussion, he's been throughout Athens. He's learned about these gods, their idols. He knows who he's talking to. And yet when he gets into his conversation, he keeps it focused on God. And that's a, another principle that's important. And it's really don't get caught up in worldly debates. He could have talked about the Epicurean's belief system and talked about their belief system. And how they were wrong. or Yeah. Instead, right. he wanted to make it about God. Uh-huh. And he wanted to, to create something that was about God and not get caught up in other things. Sure, sure. That's interesting 
that you've given me two principles so far and no subjects yet. Exactly. Because it seems like in order for me to prepare myself to talk publicly, I need to make sure in my heart that I've got some things figured out, which is another tieback, if you want to say that, or a callback to uh, what we were talking about beforehand with just young men Mm -hmm. who are going to start teaching publicly is that, that before you do that, make sure that privately you've you've been trained or you've developed these skills because if you don't have it right in your heart, it's going to be hard to get up in front of a group and have people take you seriously. Yeah. I like that connection here. We've got two principles that we're working on as believers before we even open our mouth about God himself. And there's a Bible verse, and I'm trying to think of it off the top of my head. It's in the book of Ezra. And Ezra is a prophet who's going, he's helping the people come back from their time in Babylon in bondage. And he's leading the people to rebuild the, t- the tabernacle to worship God. Right. And there's a verse in Ezra, and it says that before Ezra taught the people, he sought the Lord mm. and he sought the law. And so before Ezra ever taught other people, his primary responsibility was to seek it out himself, the law of God, and know it and do it. And then he taught people. Mm-hmm. And so there is a great responsibility to have our hearts right, our minds right, and to prepare ourselves before we get into actual, the actual conversation. There's some things that go on before. And some of that has to deal with recognizing that everybody is my audience. Be a neighbor to anybody. Spread the gospel. Yeah. To focus on God. And that takes some study yourself to be able um, to do. Yeah. I like that. And because Paul wouldn't engage with them, you know, they say in verse, uh, what is it, 18, what does is, what is this babbler wish to say? And others say, said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And so instead of him, like you said, getting into this, this argument with them there, He's really kind of waiting, biding his time so that he can take advantage of, of this opportunity. But he gets that pretty soon, right? What yeah. what happens? What happens after they call him a babbler and et cetera uh, in, in the narrative? Well, I'll tell you, it's every it's my dream. <laughs> every preacher, every dream. preacher's dream is what happens to Paul right here. Tell us. Tell us about this. This uh, God whom you serve. Exactly. <laughs> please enlighten us. I'm like, yes, please. You're welcome. Oh, let's do this. And that's exactly what happens. They draw him in and they bring him to the Areopagus or Mars Hill to this group of individuals who are there who want to question and want to learn. What is what is this Areopagus, Mars Hill? To the person out there who doesn't maybe know Athens or geography, etc., what's so special about this place? So I don't have everything of the history of Mars Hill on the top of my head, but it's this prominent hill in Athens where uh, there's these temples on top of it and people would gather together in order to worship and in order to have kind of these conversations and that would go on in Athens. Mm-hmm. And so it's just this group of people in this one primary location in Athens that would come together to discuss the religious beliefs, the hot gossip of the day. Yeah. Uh, and that's <laughs> that was their ultimate goal. Right. And so that's where this goes on in front of a council, in front of a group of individuals who it was their job to learn and understand what was happening about different religions. We we 
we may not have a one-to-one example, mm-hmm. but I think of, and I've never been to New York, so this may be completely ignorant, but if somebody were to say, oh, Times Square, and yeah. people know where it is, and yes. I don't think uh, these kind of conversations are happening in Times Square, but it's no. like a, a hub yeah. point. Or maybe Central Park. Everybody goes to Central Park for this thing. Mm-hmm. So Mars Hill, it's kind of known yes. for what Paul's doing. Others do the same thing. They'd come in and have these big talks. It's like the TED Talk yes. of of Greece. Yes. So, okay. And we finally get to a subject. Yeah. And so Paul begins this conversation with everyone. And the first subject is just God the Creator. And for notes, if you're thinking about that this is kind of broken down in verses 22 through 26 that's okay. this is his subject matter is about God the creator and how God created all things and God is the sustainer of life now remember this isn't random Epicureans and Stoics this was something that he wanted to teach them and help them understand Epicureans yeah. didn't necessarily believe in God and so if somebody doesn't believe in God you can't start at baptism because they don't know why they need to be baptized. They, you can't start at confession or Jesus. Because right. who is this? Right. And so you have to start where people are at. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But that's where Paul starts. He starts at the beginning. Yeah. You are speaking my language because when we moved to Cambodia, I've said this many times, but when we moved to Cambodia, I was ready to tell people, John three sixteen, mm-hmm. God loves you so much. And it's like I could see in their mind them saying, who is John and why does he have a three or a 16 and who is God and right. this and that. And it's so easy as for us to use church talk yes. with non-church people. Yes. And if I was to make it about Acts 17, instead of Paul using synagogue talk, mm-hmm. he needs to go and, and speak to these Epicureans and Stoics and everybody else. So I guess we need to learn another principle about what, what should I be thinking about whenever I'm interacting with people who don't know God? Yeah. And the third principle that I would give and give here is find common ground. Mm-hmm. Find something that you all can kind of start at and understand. Exactly. If you're talking to somebody who has no knowledge of God or very little knowledge of the Bible, talking about the blood of Christ is not always <laughs> the, the best place to go. Find somewhere where you can start. If for any other reason than this or no other reason than this, when you get to something that they think you're crazy at, you can at least say, hey, remember we agreed here? So right. I'm, not, I'm not that crazy. <laughs> just a little crazy. Just a little crazy. <laughs> and there's things that people will. You'll say, you, they'll say, you believe that? You have to go to church every Sunday? Yeah. You're crazy. Yeah. And you say, okay, well, this is where we're at. We at least believe in God. Let's get back. and mm-hmm. So build a foundation. Mm-hmm. Find some common ground to work from. Mm-hmm. And while for the Epicureans, this wasn't, true fully common ground it was a place that they both could start at and say okay right. here's a place to work from right you know i know you've baptized uh recently there's been baptisms at green oaks we've had baptisms at valley parkway and even after the baptism mm-hmm. people can be uh they could fall into the assumption that well we've baptized them so now they've got it all figured out and really, especially if that person didn't come from a religious background or yes. have family that's familiar with the Lord's Church, that they could be just as ignorant about whatever doctrine after baptism as they were before baptism. Yes. And so it behooves us to make sure that we're continuing to study with them because I've, I've had people recently 
that I'll ask them about just their Bible reading. And they're kind of like, I don't know. This book is so intimidating. I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. And they've been baptized because, mm. you know, orally they've heard preaching. They've had studies and they're able to read verses that have convicted them of their sin. But then you give them this big 2,500 page book and they're kind of like, ah, what? how do I even start? So yeah, kind of related to what you said, but just an admonition to our listeners that it's never going to stop. Yes. You're always going to be discipling and being discipled. And one of the things Joe Norton and I talk about, and Joe Norton's phrase is, and I hope he's okay with me sharing <laughs> this, Joe Norton's phrase is you can't dunk them and ditch them. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and I, it's 100% true because I don't have children. You do. When you have a child who's a baby, an infant, you didn't do it. That's not where the work ends. Right. And the right. Bible calls new converts babes in Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's where a lot of you guys would say, parents, that's almost where work begins. Right. That's where the, the most important work begins is in it's, those moments. It's constant. It's constant. Yeah. yeah. And so with kind of all of this, what you're saying, it's important to have a common ground and to continue to build upon that with individuals mm-hmm. and people. And so Paul starts at a place that everyone can work from. And there's importance in starting here as well. There is one guy who, I have this quote, and it says, If Genesis 1-1 is true, then everything else can at least be true. If God is able to speak into existence the universe, known and unknown, then why would we doubt his ability to raise someone from the dead, to perform miracles? And he yeah. goes on. Yeah. And so it's important to establish Genesis 1-1 in people's minds because then we can work. If they doubt the resurrection... Okay, let's talk about Genesis 1. If that's right. possible, everything else is possible. Right. right, right. And so it's not just a point of, this is not just a place where Paul starts because it's, it sounds great. There's a real practical reason for starting here mm-hmm. over other places. Mm-hmm. Now, in addition to finding common ground, man, I, I, I agree with that so much that, and obviously we can't have everything in common. Don't be deceived yeah. that, that you have to agree on everything, and that's common ground. But you've got to have at least something to, to back up to. But, but there's another principle that goes along with this. So as you're, as you're hammering out the, the details of that common ground, what is this next principle? So the next principle is very simple. It's something every mother tells their child. Be kind. Uh-huh. You know, when Paul starts this conversation in verses 22 and 23 of Acts chapter 17, He says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. If Paul starts this conversation by going, You guys are crazy. (laughs) Have you seen how many idols you have? It's a waste. Yeah. His audience turns their ears off and Mm -hmm. goes somewhere else. And so he, he starts by at least saying, I see that you're doing what you think is the best that you can do. He starts somewhere very kind. And that's important with conversations. Yeah. We can't berate and be rude and think they just didn't listen good. <laughs> well, I did my part. I did, yeah. yeah. I can dust the dust off my feet, you know, kick the dust off the feet of my shoes cuz I I preached the word to them. Exactly. And Jude, and this isn't in the notes, but in the book of Jude, he says, 
and notes that some people are one through compassion and others through fire. Mm. And so there are people and there are times where uh, hard conversations have to happen. Yeah, and you got to snatch them like out of the fire. Mm-hmm. Right. But compassion is where most people are one at. And when you, especially when you're first starting conversations, you have to be kind. Marcus Mathis, who's been on your podcast before, and I really enjoyed his and uh, your conversation. He talked to me one time, and we were talking about the Good Samaritan and the importance of applying that into our own lives. And he said he was listening to a TED Talk from an educator, and she said that children don't learn from people they don't like. Mm. And there's something to that, that if you have a teacher who you don't like, you're less likely to learn from them. Now, you might be terrified and learn, but learning comes easier when you love your teacher and you think they're a great person and they're fun and energetic. And that's not just a children's principle. If you have a boss, if you have somebody coming to you telling you what to do, if you hate your boss and he's mean to you, if he's yeah. a slave driver, yeah, you're less likely to do that work or at least do it as well. And so being kind, being a good human being, is one of the greatest things that you can do in order to promote the gospel. And this isn't in the notes either, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but with Philemon, he tells Philemon that the sharing of his faith is made effective by the good things which you have done. Uh-huh. And so Paul knows Philemon is doing good because he hears it from other people. And he says, the sharing of your faith is made effective because of the good things you're doing. Mm -hmm. Philemon's a good yeah. person. It's yeah. a difficult conversation in Philemon, but good person. And Paul says that makes the sharing of your faith effective. So yeah. be kind is yeah. the, the fourth principle. I have a, 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 a pressing issue with what you've just said, and we need to resolve this before we move on. Okay. Philemon. It's not Philemon or, or Philemon. Philemon? <laughs> Good old Philemon. <laughs> I was always told, say it with confidence because nobody else knows how to say it either, and they'll always believe yeah. you. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, no, I, I jest. I am curious, though, in the context of our study, how mm -hmm. Paul used kindness to establish a connection with them. What, what did he do that worked so well with the Epicureans and the Stoics? Well... He doesn't berate them. He doesn't make them feel less of human beings for the things that were going on in their life, for all these idols, for having a random idol that was to an unknown God. Yeah. He says, this, I understand that you're religious. He, and it's kind of inconsistent with their views because the Stoics don't even believe in gods. Exactly. And the Epicureans are kind of godless. Yeah. So he could have called out, you, you don't even practice the things that you should be preaching. He, he's, he doesn't do that. Exactly. So he still sees the humanity in them, the human in them. Right. And he still recognizes that they're people. They might make mistakes. They might do things, but they might do things that are illogical. Mm -hmm. But that's not where he wants to start. He wants to start with this idea and understanding that they're humans just like he is. We make mistakes, and no human has the right to treat any other human with disrespect or to make someone else feel less of a human being because of a mistake they've made or anything of that nature. We yeah. make mistakes, and yeah. sin is sin, and we can't diminish that, but we also want to be kind to bring people back. Right. 
Now, you have some scriptures in here where uh, with this kind approach, he is establishing a foundation about God's creative power. Um, do you mind reading those? And um, But then also, I guess the second part of my question is, how does Paul explain the Bible to people who don't value the Bible? How does Paul explain the Bible to people who don't value the Bible? Well, you're going to have to come back next week if you want to hear the answer that Aaron gives to that question, as well as the remainder of this Bible study. Acts 17 is such a fantastic chapter. I hope that you feel closer to it and closer to Paul and his methods. I look forward to sharing the rest of the study with you next week, so you need to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, and it'll download to your phone and notify you that it's coming whenever I release the podcast, typically on Mondays. So get ready for that. And until then, you can go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com. You can check out podcast videos, Bible study courses, a lot of great resources for you to download and use absolutely free. So until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, it's real.